focusing, and they will see God on you. That's a good thing. And it's a really good thing when you're an ambassador of God wherever you go, that God is seen on us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, it says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. Highlight that, underline that. That'll help you when you start yelling at the television. That's the beginning of a heart that can render evil for evil. I know you don't think so, but these things work subtly. They work in front of the TV, then you get in front of people, and then you start acting upon it, and so it's great uh, to start right there. He says, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Everybody say rejoice always. always. Say always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Somebody say, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. In everything. Everybody say everything. everything. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Now, I know we've just celebrated Thanksgiving as a nation, but here in the Word of God, it says, in everything, give thanks, and that throws us off sometimes because we start trying to discern, so does that mean I give thanks for everything? Well, there's some things that it's very difficult to give thanks for, but in everything, give thanks. 2020 has been one of those years, you know, we're about to the end. How many of you know we're about to the end of 2020? Praise the Lord. <laughs> 2021, there'll be all kinds of new beginnings, right? Sometimes we look forward to 2021, and some might not look forward to 2021. But, you know, we've, been, we've gone through a lot of things in 2020, and all the things that we've gone through in 2020, you know what? They can cause you to complain. They can cause you to murmur. They can cause you to be disgusted. They can cause you to be irritated. They can cause you to be a lot of things. And when you allow all of that to take place, you forget that in everything, I can give thanks. And in fact, really, if we look at it, we're justified. We can justify ourselves to say, listen, things aren't going the way that I think they should go. Things aren't the way that I want them to be. Things are really hard for me right now. They're hard for me to understand. Things have happened. Problems have happened. I'm justified in my complaints. I'm justified in my moods. I'm justified. Right now, I just don't feel like giving thanks. Now, I think with everything that's gone on throughout the year, we could all understand that. But what we may not understand is that there's a strategy of the enemy at work. There's a strategy of the enemy at work because when we begin to complain and look at all the things that are wrong with life, we begin to forget what God has done through Christ Jesus. And the strategy of the enemy is always to reach in subtly and over a period of time wear you down and wear you out, give you justification for your complaining, give you justification for your sad mood, for your disappointments that take place, and give you a number of justifications that we could all say, and I could say today, if I listen to whatever your story was, I get it. I totally get it. It's been a bad year. Things have happened. Things aren't right. You put a lot into it, you're maybe not seeing a lot out of it. It's not what we expected. You're right. But at the same time, 
The word of God says, in everything, give thanks. Why? Because a thankful heart really begins to re-energize what's on the inside of us, an acknowledgement of not what is going on in the world, not what is wrong with everything in life, but an acknowledgement, as Philemon says, of every good thing that is in us, in Christ Jesus, begins to stir something on the inside of us of faith. To stop in the middle of it and say, you know what, it's been a really crazy year because of all the things that have gone on, but God. Everything didn't go my way today, but God. Things not, might not be going just how they ought to be in my marriage and my family, but God. Things might not be able to do, or I might not be able to do what I want to financially, but God. I may be struggling emotionally, but God. I may be struggling in my physical body, but God. See, too often as Christians, we're like, well, I know what the Bible says, but I have a situation. It's time we flip that on the enemy because the enemy says, oh, yeah, the word of God says that, but what about your circumstance? What about your situation? What about what's going wrong in your life? And we say, I know the word, but I have a situation, but this isn't right, but they're saying, but what happened over here? And God says, flip your butt around. Get your butt turned around. Get your butt going the right direction. Normally, in order for your butt to have any kind of visibility, you have to look behind. And it's time to look ahead. No matter what the enemy is doing, but God. Amen. If we understood what the enemy's trying to do to reach subtly into our life and peel away our faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us and the victory that he's purchased for us, this victory that overcomes the world, First John just tells us this, that anybody who has faith in Jesus Christ, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And if the enemy knows, and he is the God of this world, and he directs the course of this world, as the Bible says, you can go with the course of this world directed by the prince of the power of the air. But listen. If this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith, don't you think that the God of this world is going to do everything that he can to chip away at your faith? He doesn't want you to have victory every single day. He wants to give you reasons to believe that God's not on your side, but God is on your side. Since God is for you, Nobody can sex successfully be against you. That's always, Alan always tries to say success, and he always ends up saying success, sex, sex. <laughs> it's a rough one when you get going. God wants us to be successful in everything we set our hand to do. And he knows that the thing that strengthens our faith we know that when we read the word, we hear the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But faith gets down in our heart and is in our mouth. And one of the expressions of faith that is so powerful, 
that so often we forget is the expression of our thankfulness to God. That we are thankful. And today we're just going to spend some time centering our discussion around communion. Communion is really big. We won't even really put a big dent in what communion is. Many times we don't talk about communion. We talk about the word, then we take communion. But I want to talk about communion today. Because just as you may have gathered around a table, maybe with the situation this year, you didn't gather around a table. But we gather around that for thankfulness right now, today. We're going to gather around the spiritual table of thanksgiving. This communion table is a powerful, powerful place. First Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 16, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we... Everybody say we. we. For, the we. for we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. I believe today that as we partake of communion, something supernatural will take place not only in your body, but in this body. Paul, if you read all this, he begins to work correction in them that they've come together. There's disunity now when they would come together for a communion feast. They would call it their love feast. It didn't matter what social or economic place you came from. They would come together. It was a uniqueness of the church in that day that they would come together loving one another and breaking bread together no matter what. And they began to fall back into their old habits. And Paul brought the correction that we are one body. Murdoch's translation of this says, the cup of thanksgiving which we give thanks with. Is it not the communion of the blood of Jesus? The cup of thanksgiving. So as we prepare really to take the bread and the juice, the cup, kind of in a different manner, all encompassed into one. That's pretty cool because his body and his blood weren't all separated. We start to realize and understand that really, as we said, this is really a table. The communion table is a table of thanksgiving. It's a place where we really enter in. Uh, Psalms 100, verse 4 and 5 says this, we enter into his gates with thanksgiving. We enter into his courts with praise. It says, be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures forever. We could say this, we enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, and into his presence with worship. As we take communion today, we're going to see that there is so much about communion that ushers us right into the presence of God. And that presence of God in that place where we give thanks for what Jesus has done for us. 
And whether you're holding the elements right now or they're sitting beside you, there's just something about these elements that is supernaturally real. They're not just, just symbols as we look at them, but they are something that Jesus said that when you attach faith to it, you are partaking of this supernatural life that really begins to drop down and produce something on the inside of you. And so really, as we look at this, I'm getting ahead of myself, but as you think about it, as we're going through this, I don't want this to just go by and say, I've taken communion a million times. Great. But this is a million and one and let a million and one cause you to have an encounter with Jesus himself that will affect you for the rest of your life. Because he said this is such a supernatural thing that if we partake of it in an unworthy manner, it can actually affect the health of your physical body and the length of your life. It's a powerful thing. It's not just a wafer and juice, but when you attach faith to it, it has something incredibly powerful that if we took a, partook of it in an unworthy manner, it could affect our physical health and the length of our life. That means if we take, partake of it with understanding, it will affect our physical health and the length of our life. Amen. And it will affect the way we live our life and the power in which we live our life. It is communion with the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with everything going on around us and every reason for us to not be thankful, we have this little bit of thing right here that says we can be thankful no matter what happens. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or principalities, things present or things to come, famine or peril or nakedness or sword, not one thing can separate me from the eternal oneness that comes through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Day to day, the enemy tries to wear on us, but there is a place of remembrance. <sighs> Sorry. <clears throat> I have this big lump in my throat, so if I don't yell, it doesn't get out of the way. And so, <laughs> glory to God. So the communion table is a table of thanksgiving. The communion table is a, com a table of fellowship. You'll have to go back and read it. We don't have really time to read it, but it's a place of fellowship. And as we just said, it's a place where it doesn't matter what you're economic status is, doesn't matter what your race is, doesn't matter what your gender is, it doesn't matter who you are. The body and the blood of Jesus levels the playing field. Listen, with everything that's going around, all the disputes out in the world that are challenging everyone in every single way about who you are and who should get what and how we should do all that and how maybe we should make it even. There's only one thing, one thing, one thing above all that levels the playing field for every single person. doesn't matter what you've done wrong, what you've done right, how good you are, how bad you are. There's one thing that levels the playing field, and it's the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And today, when we partake as a family together, the field is level. It doesn't matter what you think about somebody else's faith, whether you're good enough or you're not good enough, whether I measure up or I don't measure up, whether I have enough faith to face the days to come or I don't. One thing for sure, whether we have it or we don't have it, it's not for us to boast. It's all in the blood. When we come together in fellowship around the body and the blood, there's something that will take place. That First John says that the blood of Jesus super, supernaturally in its, in its life-giving flow begins to flow, and it begins to wash out the stuff in the body. And it's time that the stuff starts being taken out of the body. That the blood of Jesus begins to carry out the impurities of the body. And with that begins to carry purity into the body. So that there will not be a lack of health in his body going into the next year, but that his body will be stronger than it's ever been before. It'll be more together than it's been before. The sickness and the disease that we don't see that moves through the body. It's time for the body to get up and to get out and to get moving. It's time for the body to come together to reach out. Because if we just come together to sit and to be satisfied, we will get fat and we will get unhealthy. We'll begin to bite and consume ourselves. We'll begin to look at the trivial things. And the trivial things of this life that are passing away will seem to have some great importance to us. That it's, it's, and it's temporal. And the eternal things will fade. But no, God wants us to be healthy. And that the eternal things are magnified. And the temporal things... It's a table of thanksgiving, and it's a table of fellowship. When we come together, we come together like no other group in the whole world. When we reduce the gathering together of the church to a so social gathering on our Sunday morning calendar, we do a disservice to the body and the blood of Jesus. When we just get up in the morning and we rush here and we sit with our mind occupied with everything else in the world but Jesus, fulfilling our time to get back to everything else in the world but Jesus, we do a disservice to the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We come together like no other gathering in the world. We come together around the supernatural resurrection and bloodshed of Jesus Christ that makes us whole, that makes us one body, that creates a life full of power. We come together to unite so that we can reach out and be effective in reaching those who are lost. It's a place of tremendous fellowship. As we partake of the elements, they have significance in different ways. I just want to talk about it a little bit. I'll talk a little bit more about the body today than I do normally I love to talk about the blood, but the body, you know, we see it in a few different places. In Leviticus, we see the bread. We know it's his body, but throughout the scripture, the bread has really been significant of really the life of Christ, the body of Christ. And so in Leviticus, we see actually the show bread. 
In that holy place, there was that table of showbread with a lampstand. And in Leviticus 24, verse 5, it says, And you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. This table of showbread was in there. It's called the bread, showbread or the bread of presence. But really it was there for the 12 tribes of Israel. And when that showbread was there, it has many meanings. But one of the meanings of the showbread that was there that they partook of, the priests partook of every Sabbath and they replaced it every Sabbath. But it was to say that God is our eternal sustenance and provision. And God is our eternal sustenance and provision. Right there in the presence of the Lord, they would bring the sacrifice and the offering. They were preparing that in the place, and they went from the outer court's sacrifice into the inner court's praise. Eventually, the high priest would enter in from that place into the Holy of Holies with the blood. But they would partake of the showbread, declaring God is present with us every day and is our eternal sustenance through the covenant that we have with him. As we partake of the bread today, it's a recognition that really we, without him we can do nothing. That Jesus and partaking of the life of Jesus is our eternal sustenance. That he's the living word of God. That Jesus said man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There's something in understanding that Jesus and partaking of him in his life gives us that place that no matter what it is that we have need of, he supplies every single need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's something powerful about that bread. There's something about this bread. It's unleavened bread. It's flat bread. That's just significant without leaven without sin. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we don't have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weakness. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. It's so important that when we recognize and we partake of the bread, that we are understanding that the bread that we are partaking of is we are partaking of that part of him that was a sinless life. And as we partake of that understanding that his life brings to us, that life that we could not have without him, that we were born into sin, but when we're born again, we're not born into sin, we're born out of sin, and we're born into the righteousness of God. So there's a power in the body of Jesus Christ to cause us to understand and recognize and see that life which he has. John chapter 6, verse 48, maybe the most important. Jesus said this, as we partake of it, we're partaking of the bread of life. 
says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. We take communion, we take the bread, it says, this is my body. He said, listen, this is sustenance to you. This is a sinless life. But I'm going to take my sinless body and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it up for you to break the power of sin that has kept you out of the presence of God. This body that we're partaking of to understand it, Isaiah chapter 53 tells us this, that surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Some translations say that when Jesus bore in his body those griefs and those sorrows, some translations says we thought that it was of his own doing that he had griefs, bore those griefs and sorrows. We thought, well, that's just the way it is. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for us to have peace with God came upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. First, First Peter 2.24 echoes that scripture says he who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. As we partake of the body of Christ today, an understanding that he bore in his body our transgression, our iniquity, our sin, our sickness, our disease. He bore it in his body. He gave that body. So in partaking of that, we partake of life. That when you esteem the body of Jesus broken for you, there is something that takes place that the Bible says it opens up access to the very presence of God. Hebrews tells us that we enter into a new and living way by his blood through the veil that is his flesh. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes into the presence of the Father except through me. And when his body was broken, the thing that kept you out of the presence of God, your iniquity, 
your transgression, that sin that afflicted your body, that came upon him, that when we snapped that wafer, we're saying his body was broken. And when his body was broken, when his body was broken, the natural veil was rent from top to bottom and opened up access in the natural to the presence of God. When his body was broken in the spirit, he bore everything for us. And that sin, that veil that kept us out of the presence of God, the body of sin is now done away with that we might walk in to the very presence of God. Nothing to keep you out. There's so much more to the body. There's so much more to the bread. I just want to give you some faith connection that we don't just say, well, let's take communion. But there's something significant of taking that communion. You're partaking of something that frees you. If he... If he was wounded for your transgression and my transgression, if he was bruised for your iniquity and bruised for my iniquity, if the price for us to have peace with God laid upon him, then as we partake of it, there's an understanding. The guilt that goes with my transgression is washed away. The shame that comes with my iniquity is washed away. The penalty of my body bearing all of that and becoming sick under the weight of sin and guilt and shame is all of a sudden gone and health arises. There's something powerful to understand that, listen, he bore our sin in his own body on the tree and that we have forgiveness of sin, not only from the, the blood, but through his body. And with the forgiveness of sin, Jesus a number of times said, your sins are forgiven, rise up and walk. And the realization that your guilt and your shame has been born, your transgression and your iniquity has already been born by him, it will affect your human body and the things that you are carrying around and the worry and the stress about everything being right. It's made right on the cross. And we are to be thankful. And he goes on to the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. The blood, the blood, the blood. So thankful for the blood. That blood that purchased an eternal redemption. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. From your aimless conduct received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 says, in whom we have Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. I know many of you know this, but we'll just put you in remembrance. When we talk about redemption, the word redemption means to buy back. It means to ransom. There was only one price that could be paid for the sin of humanity. And that was a sinful or a, a sinless life. 
And the life of all flesh is in the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Jesus, through his blood, redeemed us unto God. He purchased us back unto God. Paul told the Corinthian church, you no longer are your own, but you've been bought with a price. And that price was the precious blood of Jesus. He ransomed you from the slavery of sin. He came in to that place where you were enslaved by sin. And he said, listen, I'm buying this life back. And for everybody who accepts that price of the blood, he says, I bought you back. I've reconciled you back to God. You no longer are a slave of sin. It's no longer, uh, I can't help it. I have no control. Sin no longer has dominion over you. There's nothing to worry about. As Mark Hankins says, the blood changes everything. It changes everything. It is the blood of a new covenant. It not only redeemed us and ransomed us back, but it brought us into a covenant relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 9 Verse 11, it says, but Christ came as a high priest of good things to come, the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all. There's no other sacrifice that will be given. There's no way to look and say, man, 2020, look at 2021. I, I hope something else will happen in 2021 because 2020 was bad. I hope something else is going to happen. Listen, nothing else has to happen. There won't be another sacrifice. The blood of Jesus is actually enough for us. I know that we sing it. But somewhere we have to come to the realization that the blood is enough. Jesus said, listen, he, he told us he, he was prophetic in his speaking. He's not caught by surprise. God's not tired. Like Isaiah 40 says, God's not tired. He's not getting old. He doesn't have a long beard. He's not sitting on his throne going, my God, when is this going to get over? I'm tired of these people. He's not growing weary. He's not about to faint. He is the everlasting Father. He does not grow weary. And in fact, he, the weary, he strengthens the weary. He brings strength of heart to those who are fading. That if we'll wait upon him, he will renew your strength. 2020 is just trying to wear you out. Try to get you to quit. Try to get you to give up. Even the young people, it says, will grow weary. Something will come upon the earth that even young people are saying, is it even worth it? I'm so sick of this stuff. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, and they will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run, and they will not grow weary. They'll walk, and they'll not faint. And seeing all that and not growing weary, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. So get sad, start complaining, be bummed. No, he didn't say that. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, 
but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Once for all, he's obtained an eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers heifer, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Come on, listen, there's a partaking of the blood that if you allow it, it will cleanse your conscience of dead works. For this reason, he is a mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. This blood is a new covenant. Simply put, a covenant means everything that I have belongs to you. When Jesus shed his blood, he not only shed the blood of God, but he shed the blood of man. And he said, now I'm as attached, I'm that high priest, I'm as attached to man as I am to God. And I'm pulling all things together in myself. That everything God has becomes man's. And for us, when we receive that, we say, God, everything I have belongs to you. And it all comes together in fulfillment in Christ. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says this, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes again. He goes on to say that not only is it a time of remembrance, but it's a time of reflection. He said, if we eat or drink of this in an unworthy manner, we eat and drink judgment to ourselves." One translation says damnation. I've studied that. People say that's a, a inaccurate. It's just judgment. It's a place where we recognize what we are not partaking of and how it affects our life. He said, if you, we eat or drink of this in an unworthy manner, for some who have are sick and they even have fallen asleep. But he said we have the opportunity before we take that to examine our own hearts, to examine what this body and this blood means before we partake of it. Jonathan's going to come. He's going to sing a communion song. We're just going to listen to this song. As he plays this song, examine your heart. Let today's communion be a true receiving and interaction with that broken body of Jesus Christ that gives you access into the very presence of God, that veil being rent. And that place behind the veil where the blood is sprinkled, that blood of covenant, that blood that is sprinkled upon the mercy seat that declares once and for all that mercy has triumphed over judgment. 
that whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever you've had, now is the level playing field to say, it doesn't matter what I've done, what mistakes I've made, how good of things that I can have pride in. Right now is the place where I look at the blood of Jesus, and it's not about me, it's not about that, it's not about anything but my life and what you purchase by your blood. Let's just take some time and reflect, give it to Jesus, consecrate your life once again if need be, then we're going to partake of the elements.